0: Daniel chapter 5, verse number 24. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. This is the writing that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, yufarsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel. Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. We'll stop right there. Heavenly Father, we pray that your spirit will work among us today, work among us and in us, convict of our need of a Redeemer. And may we see him by faith today. Father, I pray that you'd forgive me for my mispronunciations, that you'd forgive me for my stuttering and stammering, but Father, I I lay these down, I sacrifice them for the glory of the Lord Jesus. May he be raised to be seen by many today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. A certain man was caught in another man's mansion, and his pockets were filled with very valuable jewelry and rare coins. In entering this mansion, he had tripped a silent alarm. He had activated surveillance cameras. The police caught him on the premises. The evidence was crystal clear. He was burglarizing the place. The trial was thorough. And now the accused is standing before the judge. Throughout the proceedings, the man showed no remorse. In fact, there were times when he was smiling during the the, the trial. It seemed that he was enjoying himself. It was as if he didn't understand the charges and the evidence that was against him. Perhaps he thought he would be acquitted, But there was absolutely no reason that he should think that. All of the evidence declared that he was guilty. And during the trial, it seemed that he was so aloof that some of the spectators thought that perhaps he was mentally unbalanced. And now he hears the words, I pronounce you guilty. You are sentenced to the maximum penalty under the law. This morning, if you haven't met him before, I'd like to introduce you to Belshazzar. Verse number one of this chapter says, Belshazzar, king of Babylon, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. It appears as we read on that he got plastered with this wine. He was drunk. Here in chapter five, We have an actual historical event. This took place more than five centuries before the Lord Jesus. It is believed by many that Belshazzar started his reign only two and a half years after the death of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king that took Judah into captivity. There are a few references to this man in the Bible, but this is... The primary one. This is the major reference that we have. We are told that during a great feast, a disembodied hand, a hand, appeared out of nowhere, or at least some fingers of a hand, and scratched a few words on one of the walls of the banquet hall. Notice verse 4. They drank wine. They praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass and iron and wood and of stone. Notice the decline in the gods there. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and rode over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. For some reason, known only to God, and perhaps it was miraculous in itself, There was no one there who understood the words that were written on the wall. Maybe they were just too drunk to know. They debated about what it was and what it meant. And then Belshazzar's grandmother, I think it was the grandmother, the wife of Nebuchadnezzar, came in and she told the king that if anyone could read this writing, the Jew Daniel, he could do it and he could tell you what it means. He not only read the words that were written on the wall, but Daniel explained them to the king and everybody else who was there. The three words, Mene, Dekel, Euphrasen, can be examined as if there was a trial going on. There was an indictment, there was the pronounce, pronouncement of a sentence, followed by the execution of the punishment. Not only was Belshazzar being tried, but I bring it to your attention because it may have a bearing on you. Let's consider the indictment by thinking about the word tekel. Daniel explained it by saying, Thou, Belshazzar, art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. There are several ways to weigh something, or someone. It used to be common to find scales which use calibrated springs. They weren't very accurate, but they got the general idea out there. I sometimes use a scale which compares my weight to the weight that's placed on a sliding bar. And as I move that weight back there, it determines what I actually weigh. But getting more common these days are digital scales. We stand on this machine and computers involved say you weigh such and such. I don't know if they're accurate or not. Uh, Just have to take their word for it. As the king listened to Daniel that day, he probably visioned, visualized some old-fashioned balance Type, scale. You've seen Lady Justice, blindfolded, holding this instrument. There's a bar and then uh, cups, plates at either end of the bar. That's probably what he was thinking because that was the word that Daniel used. Thou art weighed in the balances. Belshazzar visualized a horizontal beam with a cup or a plate at either end. It might have been something as precise as what a goldsmith might use. Or it might have been something they used down at the the marne to weigh the grain. Into one cup would go a predetermined weight. Over here. A pound. And over here would go whatever grain or whatever was being weighed. And when that balanced this, there was a little mark in the middle and uh, we knew we had a pound or whatever was being, whatever weight was being determined. If there was supposed to be one shekel of silver, then the silversmith would use a shekel weight on this side and then he would pour flakes of silver into the other until that balance was made. When Daniel said that Belshazzar had been weighed in the balances, he was not talking about any human weighing system. He was talking about the Lord's balances. God's scale is as perfect as the Lord himself. Accurate down to a single atom, if we can put it that way. And Belshazzar had been found wanting. That is, he was lacking. He had not come up to the lord's standard. You might be wondering why I began this message with that fictitious story about the thief being tried. It formed in my mind as I was reading this chapter again during this special feast. Belshazzar ordered that the stolen vessels the the, the gold and silver vessels that were in God's holy temple years before, he ordered that they be brought out. This king was not the original thief. That blame would go on Nebuchadnezzar. He emptied the temple and then destroyed it. But Nebuchadnezzar appears to me to have repented of his theft and was just keeping these objects uh, uh, Secure for a while, it was Belshazzar who brought out God's golden goblets, filling them with his wretched wine and continuing to get soused before the eyes of all his lords and ladies. He praised and worshipped the false gods of Babylon using Jehovah's holy utensils but there's some additional information that you need to know. While Belshazzar was feasting, drinking, and blaspheming the Lord, the combined armies of the Medes and the Persians were preparing to enter his impregnable city. Like the unsinkable Titanic, the impervious city of Babylon was going to be breached and broken. At the city of Opus, about 50 miles north of Babylon, and a year before Daniel chapter 5, Cyrus, the king of Persia, had crushed the military forces of Babylon. So the king and most of his people gathered within the walls of the city of Babylon. The Babylonians may have had other troops scattered around their vast empire, but they weren't to be compared with those of Cyrus at this point in time. The Medes and the Persians were at that point at at Babylon's front door, and they were not knocking politely. This makes Belshazzar's feast all the more ludicrous and presumptuous, death Stood armed and ready only a few hundred cubits away from this banquet hall. And the king knew that. <laughs> Furthermore, God's prophet Daniel likely had shared with Belshazzar's grandfather Nebuchadnezzar the prophecies of Jeremiah. One of those prophecies clearly declared, as we read just a few minutes ago, clearly declared that after 70 years of Babylonian captivity, Judah would be released to go home. We read those words. The clock was ticking, the year 70 was on the horizon. How is Judah going to return home when Babylon had no desire whatsoever to release her? There's going to be a change of government. Simple as that. On the night when Belshazzar was toasting his false gods with the vessels of God's holy temple, the army of the Medes and the Persians was a few miles away. Kept at bay by the walls of Babylon. And I won't describe at this point how they breached those walls. It's quite an interesting story. The king was probably thinking, probably foolishly thinking, that his city was safe. There was no problem there. It was well stocked. He didn't need a 50,000 man army to protect the city of Babylon. The walls of Babylon could do that all by themselves. Yes, there had been that temporary setback in regard to Cyrus and that battle at uh, Opus. Uh, but his uh, soothsayers, his, uh, his uh, astrologers, and other religious uh, false prophets were telling him, we're safe, don't worry about it, they will get tired, they will go away at some point in time. We have plenty of food here within the walls of Babylon. The armies outside will eventually give up and move away. Belshazzar was just like millions of Americans who are thinking they are well protected within the walls of their sinful lifestyles. They have their religions. Ceremonial religions, uh, positive thinking religions, disgusting religions, grotesque religions, We've got plenty of religions around here. And we have state and federal laws permitting and promoting all our obscenities. We have been lying and cursing and whoring and cheating for decades with hardly even a hailstone falling on most of us. What problem do we have? We're secure here in Babylon. Everything's fine. We worship our football stars and our Hollywood stars and our money and our sex. Drinking up the blessings of God, at the same time defying the God who has blessed us. Shaking our fist in the face of the Lord, saying, come and do something about this. You can't. Our gods are greater than that God. But the indictment is out there to kill. Thou art found in the balances wanting. You've been weighed, and you have come up short. The declaration here is that the Lord has a standard, and this king has fallen short of that standard. In one cup of the scales was a tiny speck of the righteousness of God, and Belshazzar stepped into the other And the weight of that righteousness just sent the king into the stratosphere. He was nothing compared to the righteousness of God. Down went the Lord's benchmark. Up went Belshazzar. He was totally weightless. He didn't even come close to the standard the Lord had set. And the truth is that there has never been anyone who has perfectly matched the Lord's standard. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. Not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. There's destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of Jehovah in their eyes. As Paul went on there in Romans chapter 3. He crossed paths essentially with what Daniel is telling this king. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. And all the world may become guilty before God. Belshazzar was guilty before God. Weighed in the Lord's balances and come up infinitely short. And it appears that Belshazzar instinctively knew that to be true. But he refused to surrender. When he saw the Lord's hand writing on the wall, those words which he couldn't read, he still understood. Verse 6. Then the king's countenance was changed. His thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against the other. Putting it as delicately as possible, he jumped to his feet His knees buckled, he nearly fainted, and he soiled himself. He was terrified. He was terrified. He knew that he should be terrified. But he did not want to retain God in his knowledge, having been given over to a reprobate mind. He was terrified for a moment, and then the alcohol and the fun and the parties, the naked girls that were there took over, and uh, he got over it, somewhat. Then God's sentence against Belshazzar was pronounced with the word meneh. God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. The first thing that Daniel wanted this idolater to realize is that Jehovah is God. Forget all these other things. Any supposed deity who is not in sovereign control over all things is not God. Any God who cannot do miraculous things like write on the wall with a single hand, disembodied hand, isn't really the almighty God. Yes, God can write a message with a huge hand on a wall of hardened plaster. Spit on His name if you want. Inebriate yourself from His holy vessels if you like. But the Lord still is God. Deny Him. Defy Him. Ignore Him. Blaspheme Him. Willfully sin against Him if you choose. But you will never remove him from the throne. Whether you are saved from your sins has nothing to do with whether or not he is God and he will judge you. God may give you a few more moments to marinate in your wickedness, but it will come to an end. Right. It will come to an end. His judgment is sure. His sentence against you will be carried out. As I've said, God told Israel in Jeremiah 25 that his people would be in Babylon for 75 years. Not 76, 75 years. Isn't it interesting that in Daniel five twenty-six we read, God hath numbered thy kingdom. could have been said so many other ways. He has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Have you ever seen one of those clocks with, uh, how do I describe it? With numbers on paddles or uh, boards and with each minute or perhaps with each second board flops over and reveals the next number. How dramatic. Plop. 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 The numbers are adding up here, Belshazzar. We're getting closer to that 70. Such is the clock of God in some circumstances. The God who numbered Babylon has also numbered every nation. And every kingdom. Every life. Appointments have been made by the sovereign God for the death and the judgment of all of us. Those appointments will be kept. I suppose that they have been written in the annals of heaven. You might say they've been written on plastered walls. Or you could say they're set in stone. They're going to come to pass. God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Belshazzar, your time is up. And someday, my time will be up. And your time will be up. It's true for all of us. There's nothing that any of us can do to change that number or break that appointment. There's no doctor or surgeon. There's no car airbag. There's no traffic sign or vitamin pill or... Medicine that can change that number. As they used to say, when your time's up, it's up. Your life on earth will be over. It will be finished. Each and every one of us had better be prepared for that moment. Because after that moment, we shall hear the sentence and face the execution of the penalty. Perez! Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. I am no expert in the Aramaic language. Perhaps you aren't either. You may be wondering why Daniel said that Eupharson was written on the wall, but Perez was used for his explanation. Well, I have read, I have been told that Eupharson and Perez are synonyms in the Aramaic language. I don't really need to know anything more than that. God said what he said, and it was explained as it was supposed to be explained. Verse 30. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius the Mede took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. The point is this. There have been billions of people who have lived and died since the days of Adam, our first father and his wife had little idea what they were starting when they rebelled against the Lord. And they had no idea what they were starting when their first son was born, a man who became a murderer. Most of the billions of people that have lived on this earth, descending from Adam and Eve, were important to somebody, to their mothers. Maybe to a spouse. Maybe to their children. They're important for some time. But then came their appointment day when they reached their individual specific number. And they died. As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. And even though after each of their deaths There was a time of grief and mourning by people that loved them. Over the last 6,000 years, life went on, and those people were forgotten. More children were born, and grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, and they all died just like their fathers. The kingdom started by Nebuchadnezzar and which was concluded in the death of Belshazzar, was passed on to the Medes and the Persians. Cyrus, followed by Darius. In some outward ways, there were changes made in the change of government. But it was all superficial. It was just a different human government. Just another shade of black covering the original canvas of humanity. And in the next chapter, Daniel 6, Daniel is cast into the Persian den of lions just as his three friends face the Babylonian burning fiery furnace. Just a different form of execution. But the God who delivered Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah But still on the throne, and Daniel is delivered from the lion's den in chapter 6. And he is still on the throne. He's God. The Lord's not going anywhere. It's you and me. It's Belshazzar, it's Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Darius. Everything changes except God and his demands. The standard is the same. So kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Seattle, kingdoms come, and kingdoms go. People come, people go. At least as far as living on this earth is concerned. But the souls of those people go on throughout eternity. In the case of Belshazzar, his kingdom was divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And in your case, your kingdom will be divided and probably given to your children, grandchildren, or the government. But with whom will your soul spend eternity? There has never been a child of Adam whose spiritual weight was equal to the standard the Lord has established. Only of the Lord Jesus Christ has God ever said... This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Only Christ Jesus has had the sinless righteousness required by God the Father for fellowship with him. And I'm not suggesting that he received this as some sort of gift of grace. Praise God, Jesus was born. The Son of God became a man in order that wretched sinners like Nebuchadnezzar and me, might be given the righteousness of God as a free gift. When Christ died on the cross, shedding His blood there, it was with the specific purpose of washing away the sins of those He intended to save. To give to them His perfect righteousness. Through Christ, and only through Christ, can featherweight Sinners, empty, vain sinners like us, have the substance and the weight to uh, stand before God. Only those who repent before God and put their trust in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus prove themselves to be possessive or possessing the Lord's saving grace. I urge you. I plead with you. I exhort you in the name of the Lord Jesus to repent. Believe on Christ. I think Nebuchadnezzar did that. We certainly see his repentance. Belshazzar just went on in his arrogant, sinful way. Some near-sighted fool or bigot might look at Belshazzar and say, he deserved to die. Look at the nation that he's from. Look at his sins. Look at his family. I can say with all the authority of the word of God, you live in the same condemned city that he did. He was no more a sinner than you are. But just as God was gracious to this man's grandfather... And just as the Lord has graciously saved thousands of sinners since, He could very well be gracious toward you. Beg God for mercy if you think you must. Plead with God for salvation. And then as He enables you, believe on the Savior. Put your trust in the blood that Christ shed for Redemption for atonement, for for salvation. Repent before God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Save yourselves from this untoward generation by reaching to the King, Christ Jesus. Please stand.